Good morning, everybody. Um, got a couple of these. Let me just put this one over here. Well, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1. Um, as we continue to worship this morning, um, and um, through singing, and through prayer, and uh, through communion, and the reading of the scriptures now, uh, it's good to see you all as we continue with Advent. We started a series, Advent series, called the Songs of Advent, and we're looking at a few different passages on Luke chapter 1 and 2, uh, where people, God's people respond to the good news uh, in song. And this tells us a lot about who God is and what he's doing, and also a way that we may respond uh, to the good news as well. So um, as you turn to Luke chapter 1, we'll be in verses 57 uh, through 80. Uh, and let me pray as we get started. Father God in heaven, Lord, we thank you. Uh, that you are a good and loving God uh, who does amazing things for your people throughout generations. i got to pray that as we continue to worship now, as we open your scriptures, you would give us understanding, open our minds uh, to understand our hearts to receive the gospel of Jesus, Lord, that we would respond rightly. i got to pray you would show us something about your goodness and greatness this morning. God, that we would encourage one another uh, through fellowship and um, through hearing this good news and through song and through communion. Now we give you this time ask you to use it for your glory and our joy, and that the gospel of Jesus would advance in Christ's good and holy name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is God's word. Friends, God is our present Redeemer. God is our Savior and King and our promise-keeping Father. And the good news for us is that Jesus ushers in the fulfillment of this promise for you and I today. As we've seen in the stories in Luke chapter 1 and 2, 
that we see Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, had gone to spend some time with her relatives, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Elizabeth was also pregnant, uh, we know, with uh, John uh, the Baptist. And so early in chapter 1 of, of uh, Luke, we see that Zechariah, who was a priest, uh, had an encounter with the Lord in the temple and was not able to speak. And upon the birth of his son John, who was the forerunner of Jesus, uh, God returns speech to Zechariah, and Zechariah responds uh, in good news with this uh, prophetic song, singing praises to the Lord, proclaiming the good news of who God is and what he's doing in Christ. And this is good news for us today. So what I want us to do is look at this song, this prophecy of Zechariah. It tells us a lot about the history of God working for his people as a redeemer, as a savior and king. It tells us a lot about, about our state and our need for rescue and about how Jesus actualizes this good news uh, for God's people then and for us today. So look at first, uh, the first couple of verses here. Um, we see the character of God as a present redeemer, a savior king, and a covenant keeping father look at verse 68 Zechariah says blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David he has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant you see Zechariah being a priest uh, knew uh, a lot about the history of God's work for his people. He would have known the scriptures. He would have been uh, very intimate with the Lord and worship and, and ministering to God's people in the land of the day. So Zechariah was, was a man who was entrenched in the good news from the Old Testament. And here we see that he had lost his speech after an encounter with the Lord in the temple, and God returned his speech upon the birth of his son, John, who was a, a forerunner of Jesus. It was Jesus' relative who was going to come and, and, and kind of prepare the way to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah had said. And in so doing, Zechariah, it says, uh, Scripture says he was filled with the Holy Spirit and then prophesied, proclaimed this good news that God is a present redeemer. In verse 68, the Lord God of Israel has visited and redeemed his people. See, the language used there would be familiar for, for God's people who are, um, know the story of the Exodus. We've been studying the book of Deuteronomy here at Redemption Church, and so uh, we talk about God freeing his people from bondage in Egypt. God's people had been uh, enslaved in Egypt for a few generations, and God had come down, had visited with them. So language visit means for God to come down, and often that word visit is associated with God's judgment on something. And so if you look in the book of Exodus, you see that God comes down to visit with his people, and in so doing, uh, cast judgment on those who had enslaved God's people, and he brings freedom to Israel to set them free. And the word redeemer, uh, to redeem, redemption is, is to be purchased out of bondage, to be set free from slavery in order to do something great for God. That's one of my favorite words in Scripture. In fact, that's how we get the name Redemption Church, is to be set free from something by God in order to be set free to do something glorious for God. Now, redemption has the... Uh, the, it's a language used uh, specifically in setting slaves free. 
And one of the stories I love most in our local history here in Augusta is in downtown, uh, there's a church called Springfield Baptist Church. It's one of the oldest African-American churches in the nation. And um, I read this book. I I would recommend it to you by uh, Ed Cashin, a local historian and author, um, who talks about the story of of Springfield Baptist Church. And in the 1800s, their pastor's name was Kelly Lowe, and he was actually a slave and under his uh, pastoral care, that church grew to over a 1,000 members. And their congregation gathered enough funds to purchase their pastor's freedom so that he could be a full-time pastor and serve God's people that way. And so Kelly Lowe shepherded those people of Springfield Baptist Church. Actually, Springfield went on to plant several churches in our area, started a Christian college, which ended up moving to Atlanta, named Morehouse College. And so... We see this beautiful picture that, in even our local history, that being purchased out of slavery, out of bondage, is not just to be free and to kind of float off into oblivion, but rather to be set free for a purpose of huge gospel influence. It's a beautiful picture of the word redemption, as we see in Scripture as well, that God had set his people free in the book of Exodus, set them free from bondage in Egypt so that they could go on to do amazing things for God's glory and to spread the good news of his salvation to the nations. And so Zechariah makes this prophetic statement using that language, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people. God has come down to be present with his people, to set them free for amazing things, to set them free from bondage, and to lead them on to great things for his glory and their joy. He goes on to talk about how God is a Savior and King. Verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. If you read through biblical history, God makes promises through the Old Testament prophets, that a king would come from the line of David, who was the greatest king of Israel. A a king would come who would rule God's people in, in justice and righteousness and holiness and goodness for all eternity. This was a promise God made to his people. And Zechariah is saying, this promise is coming true. We see that God is a covenant keeping father in verse 72 to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. So you see that that Zechariah is proclaiming what God is doing, that God is about to do something magnificent for his people because he is a good God. He is a covenant-keeping father, a savior king, and a present redeemer. So God does these things for his glory and for the joy of his people. We see there is a purpose behind God's work. Look at verse 74 and 75. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. These are important verses for us. We see that God's character is amazing. He is good. He is holy. He is a Savior, King, a covenant-keeping Father, a present Redeemer of His people. But there is a purpose behind the freedom God purchases for His people. He doesn't just turn them loose to go serve other gods or to get lost in sin. God sets His people free so that they might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness all of their days. 
the first century where Zechariah was a priest, uh, was God's people were under immense oppression from the Roman Empire. It said that 70 to 90% of their income was, was taxed either by the Roman Empire or by local governments or by the temple tax of their region. Uh, there was uh, religious uh, corruption as certain religious leaders were working hand-in-hand with local government and Ro- the Roman uh, Empire. And so you see that Zechariah as a priest stepping into this says, God has a different purpose for us. We were not set free to go back to bondage politically or religiously or culturally. We were set free in order that we might serve the Lord without fear, to serve Him in holiness and righteousness all of our days. You see, the purpose of God's people is to serve Him in holiness and righteousness. Holiness means to be set apart for God's purposes. It's it's an identity that you have. To be holy means that God has identified you, has marked you as His Man or woman is his people. You are set apart with the identity to be holy. To serve him in righteousness means to, to live rightly as God's people ought to live. And in the first century, this was not happening as it should. It, it wasn't for want of political involvement or religious involvement. It was a lack of, of a gospel understanding of God's goodness to his people. There was a disconnect. In fact, Scripture shows us what that disconnect looks like. Look at verse 77 says to give knowledge of salvation to the people and forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So you see, as Zechariah sings this prophetic song proclaiming of who God is and what he's doing and who God's people are set free to be, we see that there is a disconnect, that God's people are not walking in holiness. They're not serving the Lord. They're not serving him in holiness or righteousness, but rather their lives are characterized by sin, by darkness and death. This comes by Believing lies instead of truth. Pursuing lies instead of truth. It it comes by seeing identity in something other than who God has set you free to be. And then living a separate way than God has called you to live. So I want to ask us to pause for a second as we see this portrait of who God is as a a present redeemer of his people. He comes down and sets his people free. Is to see God as a Savior and King, someone who saves His people so that He may rule over them in justice and mercy all of their days. As a covenant-keeping Father, a God who makes good on His promises, He sets His people free so that they may serve Him in holiness as a people set apart with a new identity, to serve them in righteousness, to live rightly with each other, worshiping God. To see the disconnect is sin and darkness and death. I want to ask, what does that look like in our lives today? I mean, we see who God is. Scripture tells us how good God is and the purpose He has for His people to be holy and righteous. But just look around. You don't have to look far to see the brokenness of our world. I mean, turn on the news and see, see horrible things happen in our own country. Right? You see uh, political corruption, religious corruption, cultural oppression. You see brokenness interfere with whole segments of our population, whole segments of uh, cultures worldwide. Whole ethnic groups are being uh, wiped out across, across the Middle East and parts of Africa either due to disease or uh, religious 
um, corruption. You look around in your own life, maybe you see brokenness in your, in your own um, relationships, in your own family, in your own neighborhood. I mean, maybe you are struggling with some sort of sin or, or dark thing that you can't seem to shake. You feel like you're walking through darkness alone. Maybe it's something emotional or spiritual. Maybe it's something very physical. Maybe it's something relational. Friends, we don't have to look far to say, look, God says his people are to walk in, and, and to serve him without fear. I mean, is there fear in your life? Like, you know, you say, I want to serve the Lord, but I fear that he won't love me. I mean, I want to serve God, but I fear that he won't accept me. I fear that he won't forgive me for what I've done. Or maybe you say, I want to serve the Lord, but I fear what effect it may have on my job. I want to serve the Lord, but I fear what effect it may have on my relationship with my spouse or my family or my parents or my children. I want to serve the Lord, but it may affect my standing in society or in the neighborhood or what have you. I mean, can you honestly say that you can serve the Lord freely with no fear? Can you say that that we can look around and say we serve the Lord in holiness, meaning we, we see our identity as being set apart as God's people, that God has done something amazing and has set us apart? Or do we find our identity in something else? Right? It's easy to say, well, you know, I, I, I believe in God and I want to follow Jesus, but you know, my identity is wrapped up in, in this particular relationship. I can't, can't. To follow the Lord means I have to give up this relationship, so I'm not sure that I can do that. Or maybe to say to follow the Lord means I need to make changes in the workplace or make changes in uh, my recreation or what have you. We end up finding our identities wrapped up in other things other than the Lord, and we end up pursuing what we find our identity in. Therefore, we become workaholics, or um, we pursue things that we find fulfillment in that, that actually pull us further away from God. Therefore, we do not set apart as holy anymore. Or righteousness, living rightly before the Lord all of our days, that is not only a moral thing, it just means things are going well. To, to, to do right, to live rightly, uh, does mean that, that there is a certain moral standard and an ethical expectation, but, but it means that you are living rightly with your brothers and sisters in Christ, that you are living rightly with your spouse, with your family, with your children, that things are going right between you and the Lord. Can you look around and say that? I mean, friends, brokenness is all around us. It's all around the first century Jewish culture as Zechariah is, is prophesying as a priest saying, look, this is what, who God is and what he's done. He's, he's done these amazing things as a king, as a redeemer, as a father, in order to set his people free so that they may serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness. But you know what? It's just not working. I mean, there's sin. There's darkness. There's death. Verse 79 says, There are those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. So what does that look like in your life? I have thousands of examples running through my head. But before you despair, I want to tell you some good news. Because there's good news in this song that Zechariah is singing. He's, he's laying the groundwork for us to see how wonderful God is, how broken humanity is, and saying, look, there's a disconnect here. I mean, if Zechariah, a priest, who was like doing awesome worshipful things in the temple before the Lord, says, hey, things are still broken, I think you and I can pretty much say, yeah, I mean, if, 
If a priest in the temple encounters the Lord and steps out and says, hey, things are still broken, I think you and I probably could admit that things are broken too, right? I mean, Zechariah was like in the presence of the Lord. And so as his wife Elizabeth gives birth to their son John, who would be the the, the front runner of Jesus, who would come before the ministry of Jesus proclaiming that God's kingdom is coming in and that God's kingdom is is bringing, uh, that Jesus is bringing forgiveness and salvation for God's people. As John is born, his father Zechariah proclaims this good news. Look what he says in verse 76. He says, A new child will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and their forgiveness of their sins. I mean, this is pretty cool. I have one son and three daughters, and when my kids were born, I busted out some scripture and read the Bible, some sections of the Bible over them and prayed over them and actually sang over them a little bit. But, but I wasn't able to make this kind of proclamation over my son. <laughs> right? I, I can't say, you child will be called prophets of the Most High. Right? I, I prayed a different prayer, but that wasn't it. But this is what Zechariah says, identifying his son John to be, to be a forerunner of Jesus, to be a prophet, to, to proclaim is what that means. He's, he's proclaiming how God is making good on his promises. He is proclaiming on behalf of the Lord the good news that Jesus is, is ushering in that kingdom that, that just as God the Father was a present redeemer for his people in Exodus, that Jesus is going to be the present redeemer for God's people. That just as God was promising a savior king, Jesus is the fulfillment of being that savior king. Just as God's people need to live in holiness and righteousness and to worship without fear, Jesus is going to make that possible. As such good news, as such a beautiful proclamation, you child will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. I love that because John steps into a scene of of brokenness, political brokenness, religious brokenness, cultural brokenness, personal brokenness. He steps into that scene and John has the great privilege of being the prophet saying, hey, I'm not the Savior, I just want to tell you he's coming. He's, he's coming. I just want to prepare the way of the Lord. He's fulfilling what the prophet Isaiah would, would say would happen. And John, uh, if you read in the Gospels, it's just a beautiful picture of how John goes and proclaims this good news. And here is the good news for us. This is what Jesus brings. Jesus brings salvation and forgiveness of sins. Jesus brings mercy by his presence. Jesus brings light and peace to God's people. Look at what he says here. Verse 77. John, as a prophet, is to give knowledge of salvation. You see, John's not bringing salvation. I mean, if you read, John is a pretty cool guy in the New Testament. John the Baptizer, John the Baptist. You know, if you've seen like the History Channel movie, I thought it was pretty cool because he had dreadlocks. And I think, I kind of picture John maybe being that kind of a guy because it says he kind of lived off the land in the wilderness. He's probably a rough dude, you know, said he ate locusts and honey and was just more like, Camel fur, you know, just awesome, you know, burly guy on a buffalo kind of guy. Just, ah. Oh. So John didn't give salvation to God's people. John as a prophet didn't bring salvation. John as a prophet didn't bring righteousness and holiness. John as a prophet didn't bring forgiveness or mercy or light or peace. He just proclaimed those things. He 
He prophesied that Jesus is the one bringing it. This is what's so awesome. He brought the knowledge, but Jesus is the salvation of God's people. Jesus brings forgiveness of their sin. Verse 77 says, You see, Jesus brings the redemption that God brought to his people in Exodus. Just as God set his people free in Exodus, led them to a land of promise so that they may worship him and become his people truly. In the same way, Jesus sets foot into human history, not only to set Israel free, but to set all of God's people through all generations and all cultures free. It says to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. That's such good news. So what this means for you and I is in Christ you are no longer defined by the sins of your past. You are no longer defined by the struggles of your present. You are defined by being purchased, set free from bondage in Christ, in Christ alone. You're not defined by how uh, religious you are or what kind of family heritage you come from for good or for bad. Some folks in this room could say, hey man, I come from a long line of religious people and I've been religious my whole life. Doesn't matter. Some of you can say, man, I come from a, bunch, a family full of pagans. Doesn't matter. I mean, that's what I love about this. Since it's Zachariah singing this, Zachariah could have bragged. He could have said, well, of course my son would be prophet of the Most High. I'm a priest after all. That's not what Zachariah says at all. He says, look, my my son is going to be prophet. He's going to proclaim the good news of of knowledge, the salvation that Jesus is bringing, the forgiveness of their sins. So friends, I want to ask you, what does this look like for you and I today? What what past baggage are you you dragging in here? I got baggage. I got carry-ons. I I have more coming shipping later. There's a lot, right? There's a lot from our past that we can, can... weigh us down as we pull it and drag it. There's, there's struggles in our present, right? I mean, when you become a Christian and you follow the Lord, it doesn't mean that everything bad just goes away. It doesn't. In fact, those struggles continue. In fact, these struggles can be thorns in your side to the day you die. But the good news is that those things no longer define you. You, you are no longer bound eternally in sin and death and darkness. You are not defined by those things. In Christ, you are defined as being saved, salvation in Christ for his people, in the forgiveness of your sins. That means you were let loose from the consequences of those things. You are no longer defined. So what is it that you have? What past brokenness are you struggling with? What past hurt is weighing you down? What present struggle and sin seeks to define you and say, this is, this is who you are. This is who you are, you adulterer, you drunkard, you drug addict, you loose person, you lustful person, you angry, sarcastic jerk. What is it that's seeking to define you? Because it's a lie. In Christ you were forgiven from those things. There's great mercy in the presence of the Lord, verse 38, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. It means there is mercy in God's presence. This is what I love. Mercy, we talked about this last week, is not just like passively pitying somebody, like, oh, that poor guy. God doesn't look at us with pity and just say, oh, poor them. They're like cute little mangy puppies, just... Poor thing, just get them away from me. God does not look at us passively in pity, but rather mercy is is actively pursuing the well-being of someone else. 
It is going out of your way to make sure someone is cared for. And that's what God does for us by his very presence. That's what I love. This is that, that there is mercy, the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. I'm saying that like God will visit. He, he will dwell with his people. Now, a couple of verses earlier in verse 68, Zechariah is saying, Blessed be the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's talking about God coming down in the Exodus to throw judgment on Egypt and set his people free. And he's using that same word to describe Jesus coming down in verse 78. The mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us on high. That's good news. I mean, for a first century Jew saying, look, I, I feel oppressed by the government. I feel oppressed by the religious institution. I'm seeing brokenness right and left. Has God forgotten about us? You can point back and say, hey, you know that amazing thing God did in Exodus? He's doing the same thing even bigger and more magnificently in Christ. And that's what Zechariah is saying here. The tender mercy of our God, the sunrise shall visit us from on high. That's why Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. And that's good news. We see also that Jesus is coming to not only give forgiveness and salvation and mercy by his very presence, but also he's bringing light and peace to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. I mean, this is so beautiful. You see that we cannot sit in darkness and free ourselves to the light. You know, we cannot, we cannot be approaching death and, and somehow rejuvenate ourselves toward life. We cannot find ourselves in turmoil and, and somehow work our way into peace. That has to be done for us. And the good news is that Jesus, by the mercy of God, by his very presence, saving his people, forgiving them of sin, is bringing us into light from darkness, taking us from death to life, taking us from strife into peace. And this is fulfilling so many expectations of Scripture. I don't even know where to start, so I'll just throw a couple verses at you. And I encourage you to look up more when you get home. Right, Isaiah 9-2, the prophet Isaiah, several hundred years before Christ, said, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. Isaiah 42, 6 and 7, I have given you as a light to the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and from the prison of those who sit in darkness. And then the Apostle Peter writes later after the time of Christ in 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I mean, there's all kind of good news in the scriptures. We just have to see how all the dots connect, how it all points us to Jesus, because you see that ultimately Jesus is the one who makes good on God's promises. He is the embodiment of God fulfilling the promises that he had made to his people. It is God expanding his redemptive power beyond Israel and Exodus into the entire globe in Christ here and now as well. You see that it's Jesus who comes in bringing salvation, forgiveness, mercy, the presence of God, taking us from darkness to light, from death to life, from strife to peace. And it's good news. And if you hear anyone say that you can do those things on your own, that's a lie. If you think there's another way to achieve those things, it's a lie. We are utterly hopeless 
There's no way you can get out of darkness. There is no way you can get out of death. There is no way you can get out of strife. Only Christ can be the true redeemer, the true rescuer. He's the one who can pull you from darkness to light, from death to life, and from strife to peace. And that's why we celebrate Advent. That's why we celebrate the birth of Christ, because he is the king who is coming to do those things for his people. It is why Zechariah, as a priest, sings this prophetic song that, that I just, I love, I love it. I mean, I just, I love that you look at these ten or so verses, and there's like one statement about his son, John. <laughs> I mean, dude, I love my son. I, I want to sing about my son all day long. I can imagine Zechariah being so thrilled to sing about his son, John. But if you look in context, he spends most of the time talking about the goodness of God the Father. Look how good God is. Look how blessed he is. He's a redeemer, a savior, a king, a father. He talks about how the the amazing things that Jesus is going to do, bringing salvation, forgiveness, mercy, presence, light, peace, life. And then right in the middle, Zechariah says, by the way, my son John, he's going to be the prophet just to brag about that. The end. It's pretty cool, I think. Because the gospel's all in that. In the midst of Zechariah's whole joy was wrapped up in who God is and what he's doing in Christ. His whole joy was about how his son John would have a part to play, just, just proclaiming that good news. So what does this mean for you and I today? As we've approached Advent, we often use the phraseology, we want to worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. That during this time of, of Christmas and Advent, we want to worship God fully because He is our Redeemer, our Father, our Savior, and King. We want to uh, see that in Christ we have been delivered so that we might worship Him without fear, without uh, fear of rejection from Him, without fear of not being good enough, without fear of uh, oppression from outside forces. We can worship in Christ, we can worship the Lord without fear and in holiness with a new identity in Christ, and in righteousness knowing that, that in Christ uh, we are seen as righteous sons and daughters of God. And this is good news. So we want to worship God fully this Advent season. We want to give more, seeing that redemption means you have been bought at a price for a purpose. To be holy means you've been set apart by God for God's purposes, that you are being set free in order to do amazing things for God. And so we're asking this Advent season uh, that you spend less and give more, meaning not, not only giving of, of resources, but giving of your, of your person, of your time, serving your friends and family, spending time with your friends and family and those who maybe don't know the Lord. Maybe there's neighbors you know who don't, who don't maybe there's a widow or a widower in your midst. Maybe there's somebody who's just a, a grumpy person. If you don't know a grumpy neighbor, come to my neighborhood and I... Am that grumpy neighbor. Um, I'm just kidding. There are plenty of grumpy neighbors in Forest Creek. They need the Lord. And we'd love to, we can go caroling and just annoy them to the love of the Lord. I don't know. We can go do something fun. So we're going to ask you to spend less and to give more that you've been redeemed for a purpose. We, friends, we are ambassadors of the good news. I mean, as a Christian, you are not salvation for somebody. You are not, uh, you are not their forgiveness. But, we have the great opportunity as ambassadors of the salvation of Christ that we can point people to Jesus to show them the tender mercy of God, to, to show them that in Christ you are moved from death to life, from strife to peace, from darkness to light. 
And that's such good news. And so uh, I want to ask us to consider those things this season. How is, what does that look like uh, in your life personally? How are you stewarding this good news? First of all, do you believe it? I mean, do you believe the good news of who God is and what he's doing? Do you believe the good news of who Christ is and what he's doing? And if so, if you believe it, what are you, what are you doing about it? Like, what are you, how are you displaying that this season? And if you're here today and you, and you don't believe it, you're like, hey, this is a cool story. I saw this on the History Channel. Man, we'd love to talk with you more about, about how, uh, what Scripture says about this good news and how it applies to our lives today. It's what we want you to know most of all uh, here at Redemption Church is that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, that Jesus alone is salvation, forgiveness, mercy, uh, light, life, and peace. And that's what we want you to know. So let me pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Uh, to your people throughout all generations. God, I pray that as we uh, celebrate um, you this season, God, that you would let us see uh, your goodness. God as a loving, covenant-keeping Father, as a Redeemer, as a Savior and King, and that, Jesus, we can see your work as uh, the one who brings salvation, forgiveness, mercy, light, life, and peace for your people. God, I pray that we would not take salvation lightly, but we would see that you have saved us, redeemed us for a purpose, the purpose to live in holiness, to live in righteousness without fear. God, not for our glory, but for your glory and for our joy, and that the good news would be proclaimed and seen, just as Zechariah, as a father, sang your praises at the birth of his son. God, I pray that we would proclaim those praises as well. And just as John's whole, whole life was to be a prophet going before proclaiming the good news, Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunity to proclaim the good news of Christ. God, in all things, we thank you for your goodness and pray that you would stir us up and, and our minds' attention, our hearts' affection to you. We ask that you would save those who don't yet know you and that we would all live uh, in great joy as uh, those saved, redeemed in Christ. We thank you in Christ's good and holy name. Amen.